and we are kicking off episode two here on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. I'm Jason Duet. Joining me will be head coach Frank Monica. We got a great show tonight. We have some prep talk. We're going to recap week one, preview week two. We're going to discuss Tulane and LSU's games this week and preview their games as well as a few other college matchups. We have special guest Shaw head football coach Hank Tyranny. And in our Let's Be Frank segment, we're going to discuss the value of a running back. So, uh, before we go ahead and get started, we want to give a special thanks to Ocardo and DoFriend Law Firm for being the sponsor of the Let's Be Frank video podcast and for allowing this to happen. So, we want to go ahead and bring on head coach Frank Monica. Coach, week one is in the books. College game, college the college game and high school game, a lot of exciting action, and we're just going to jump right in. But um, after week one, you've always said the biggest jump you're going to see from a team is week one to t- week two. Why is that? Well, because all of a sudden, it, 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 you know, you get exposed. You get exposed to your weaknesses. And I think a great example of that was actually LSU. We'll talk about that later. But, you know, it exposed your weaknesses. That when you think you're ready, when you really aren't, it might be the secondary, it might be the offensive line, might be your quarterback or whatever. But our special teams, it's normally not just one thing. It's another number of things that the, that you have to work on because you can't tell enough about a short jamboree and about a scrimmage where there's no kicking game. So uh, the, the, I do think that the team improves a lot, especially if you go on the road. I think that means a lot and it builds your character uh, and it helps you throughout the rest of the year. I agree, and there's a lot of opportunities here for teams to grow as we take a look at our Week 1 scores and recaps. We're going to start out here in prep talk with – Week one recaps, Vanderbilt Catholic took on E.D. White in our first matchup. E.D. White won 52-14 to in that matchup. Coach, we know what type of talent that E.D. White has and the runs that they've been able to make, and it looks like they're continuing to have that machine churning. Yeah, Coach Lassane's got him rolling over there now. They're really powerful football team. That was, game was a, was a blowout, and I, I expected a, a closer game because they're rivals, and that game has always been close over the years, but it looks like the E.D. White's starting to separate themselves as far as talent and the number of players and, and their strength level. They look like they really have things rolling over there in Thibodeau. Cecilia took on St. Martinville. Cecilia won 49-27 to in that ball game another rivalry game and another one-sided victory and we discussed coaches it's tough to lose a game but how does it feel a little bit tougher when you're losing to a rival like that yeah, no, no question. And, and uh, you know, it's across town and Cecilia has built the program. They're they're in the 4A level now. Uh, St. Martinville is, is, is down to three. But, I mean, they've always been just a – they used to be in the same district, and that's always been a war. And I'm not surprised that uh, Cecilia won, but the score was, was really, really – uh, was a big surprise to me because I didn't think that they would score that many points against a real tough St. Martin football team, even though a lot of their players go two ways. Yeah, and again, uh, two good ball clubs. We'll see how they move forward with their season. In our next matchup, Lafayette Christian took on Acadiana, coach 61 to 38, victory for LCA. Now, we know what type of powerhouse LCA is and the type of talent they have, but to defeat a team with that type of enrollment, with that type of talent, and uh, it's a juggernaut in Louisiana high school football, the way that LCA has built themselves up over the past few years is remarkable. Yeah, this was this was the team that was destined. They they t- told us a couple of years ago that this sophomore class was going to be somebody special. I mean, that score right there looks like a social security number. You know, I mean, it's just unbelievable because the Cadiana has the offense with the split back beer to slow a game down. They always score, but you never would think that they would give up that many points uh, to a to a football team. But you know, LCA is ranked number one in, in the state in their class, and and, and uh, that just shows you why. 
And in our next matchup, we have Newman taking on Hanville. Newman came back in this ball game and won it forty-one to twenty-one. Coach, you're familiar with Coach Nelson and the type of offense that he has at Newman, and again being able to go in and beat a team that does have the numbers over them and the weight and the fashion that they're able to do it is quite impressive. Well, yeah, Newman was a beneficiary of, of two scooping scores, uh, two defensive touchdowns, and kind of gave them distance right there. And, and I think his quarterback played really, really well. It's a new kid, you know, it's, it's post-Eli Manning stuff, you know, that, that sort of thing. Archie, Archie's son, uh, grandson, uh, the, all this stuff came to fruition. And I think now that Newman is, is, is with all that drama uh, is now settling down and, and running their, their offense that they know they can run. Uh, but, you know, again, you said it, it, that to beat a team, a 5A school like Hornville that, that has a lot, a lot of good players. I mean, that was a surprise. Coach, what goes into playing up when you have to play a 5A team? You've definitely had to you've had to schedule those games, but why is it beneficial for your team as a whole, not necessarily just for power points and power ratings, but why is it so beneficial to play a bigger uh, school in terms of enrollment? You know, I, it was always been my philosophy to, to play some tough competition early in district because district championships don't mean anything anymore. And plus, there's so many weak, weak districts, and you don't learn a, a lot from those teams. Sometimes you're only playing your first team for a half. But now, and the but but the power ranking system is important, and uh, so that's where your pre-district points are going to come from. Uh, so, so you have to play some some good people. Plus, you need to test your team. Your team needs to go into third or fourth quarter being close or behind or something like that. It need to be tested, maybe even going overtime. But I think that really, really tests your team because, again, it magnifies your weaknesses. And uh, and that's what we talked about earlier. I think that, uh, that's 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 the reason why that first ball game is so important. And that doesn't mean that your team's going to end up like that because a lot of people really go back to the drawing board and they start all over again and say, wait a minute now. Uh, or it might be a personnel thing. And maybe we used to call it firing a player. You fire a player, but you put somebody else in that position. Because how many guys you've seen – they became great players only because of an injury or because he got re- really rolled. Now, people don't like that term anymore, the term rolled, but that means that somebody is better than you and they're playing better than you. But uh, that that's something I think that's very important that you actually have to play up and that, in order to get better. Coach, how do you balance the schedule between playing up and playing tough competition and overwhelming your ball club early on and getting into a losing mindset? I think I think you could get a feel for what your players can handle, and uh, if you ask your players and your fans, who do you want to play, and and they'll tell you, said we want to play so and so. They want to play the the best because they get no glory in beating some team that's that's not very good, a team that doesn't have many wins, and all of a sudden uh, they disorganize, it, and the fans don't want to see that either. Yeah, you know, and you can tell by the attendance, and there's no interest in the players. They don't they don't get excited after scoring touchdown, but you can tell the emotion, and it ramps up a lot during the week when you play a real, real good opponent and there's a lot of drama going into the game. And I think that, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think you can put too much on the, on the kids' plate. They all want the competition. Now, everybody worries about the injury bug, but you can get those in practice. So, I mean, you know, uh, I always felt that if when teams really intense, you don't have injuries. It's when you're not intense, that's where the injuries actually start to surface. Thanks, Coach. And moving on to the next matchup, we had Riverside, who took on St. Thomas Aquinas. Big win for them, 55-18. to 18. Small 1A school, but mighty without the numbers. Uh, has a, a potent program, and Coach Roussel is doing a nice job there in reserve. 
Oh, no question. I think, you know, he's, he's got a running back that that's running over people there. And I think that, you know, they thought that the one they had last year, the Davis kid at, at, at ULL, uh, he, even though he's graduated, you know, uh, this one guy looks just as potent as, as the one he had last year. And uh, coach is going to, he's going to run the football. You know, he's a, he's a good old, old fashioned offense, offensive line coach and he likes to run it. And it looks like he got things moving in, in, uh, in the right direction. Of course, you know, we'll talk about it later, but he's got a big test this week. Jesuit took on Slidell and knocked them off 10 to nothing. Defensive battle we discussed last week. Jesuit has a younger team. Defense needs might need to be relied on, and they have to find a way to get that youth uh, acclimated quickly, and nothing better than to start off with a win. No question. I think it'd be a real good uh, Slidell football team. Coach Scobie does a great job over there, especially on defense. And You knew this game was going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, but you didn't think that Jeff that's going to shut out Slidell, but that's a huge, huge win for him, and, uh, and, and for, especially for a young team that Coach Manali puts on the field. But I do know he's going to have them very, very physical, no matter who's on the field. In our next matchup, we had St. Charles knocking off Shaw 17-10, to 10, and we're going to talk to Coach Tyranny later um, in the show, Shaw head football coach. But this game, I think a lot of people looked at last year's score and said, man, St. Charles – two-time defending state titles, they're going to roll them. But after seeing what they did in the Jamboree, you had to know Shaw was a different ball club and went toe-to-toe with a very talented Comet football team and a well-coached team. And that speaks to the job that coach has done. Uh, no question. I think, uh, you know, both teams have had their teams prepared. Coach Stein had them prepared. Uh, this game could have gone either way. There were a couple of times that Shaw got down there really, really deep. and They, they, they floated an interception for one on the second down inside the, the, the red zone there, deep inside the red zone. And, uh, you know, and I think at the end that St. Charles just kind of, I think they did. And, and as Coach Tierney will tell you, and he said after the game, he said, he got beat by a program, meaning that in all phases, a, a team that's been there. Uh, but there were many turning points in the game, uh, aspect of the game. That game could have gone either way. Uh, but at the end, when, when it had to, St. Charles held into the ball the last five minutes of the ball game and kind of iced it from there. And uh, But I, I think, that, you know, you can tell that Shaw can run the ball. And they got a quarterback that's very physical, a real good running back that's real, real physical, and a nice-looking offensive line, a big, tall receiver. Uh, but St. Charles, you know, they've been there. They've been there. They know how to win, and the kids know how to practice. And I think they, the expect, expectations there are very, very high. And, uh, and so, you know, they, when, you, when, you, when you play St. Charles, you, you better bring the whole package, and that's what they are. Yes, and I think you'll see them get a very tested going on in this as the season goes on. And Shaw, again, very talented ball club. We'll see how things play out for them. Moving on to our next game, East St. John versus St. James, 41-40 to victory for the East St. John Wildcats. Coach, they came down 20 points to win this ball game, took it to overtime. St. James decided to go for two, was unsuccessful. And that's kind of what we, we discussed at length last year about – when do you go for two? When do you not go for two in terms of overtime and putting the game on the line for one play? Didn't pay off for them. But what is impressive is this team came down from 20 points in East St. John. Yeah, they did. And, and you know, uh, the word I got unofficially was that, you know, that, that St. James plays several guys both ways. And I think that's probably uh, was one of the things that this, that made that decision easy. That let, let one play, we're going we're gonna to end this thing with one play rather than going to overtime again and kicking the, the PAT tied up again. And I can see that. that. That makes an awful lot of sense because you have nine more games after that. 
And so, and but you know, give them credit for for jumping out because East St. John's got a really, really good football team, a, a big football team. And uh, so, and St. James, this was not supposed to be their year, but it looked like they battled pretty hard for four quarters. Oh, it's a good ball club, and always well coached at St. James. In our last matchup, we had Rummel taking on Washington Parish, one point loss for the Raiders, twenty-one to twenty, and kind of a little bit of payback from last year's matchup. Yeah, and it's really odd because Rumble turned the ball over five times in the first half, and um, they had a real, real strange play uh, on a kickoff. One of the players for Rumble, the return guy, returned the ball all the way down to the five-yard line, and he trips and falls, but nobody touched him. Trips and falls, and Rumble ended up getting nothing out of it because he attempted a field goal, and he muffed the snap. So, And then, then later on, they had an interception, and it's something very similar to that happened also. And so now they have to regroup and, and um, because – Warsaw that took the last drive and, and just uh, ran the football and uh, they were really, really big up front. And so now Rumble has to regroup uh, and this week is going to really, really be, be a, a, another tough test for him. And coach, there's a few teams out here this year that we're going to continue to discuss as the season goes on that have a quarterback change. And when you go into a season and you have two guys that you're not quite sure who has the edge, had a closely contested spring, they've had – a jamboree where and the scrimmage where they kind of got different reps. How difficult is it to pick a quarterback, and what goes into your mindset when choosing the person who is going to run your offense? You know, it's a lot of people have a two quarterback system, and what normally ends up happening in those scenarios is that the cream rises to the top, and somebody normally will separate themselves unless. You give one a certain package and the other a different package and that he can maybe one guy is a better runner than he is a thrower and you stick with that plan throughout the year. But I really think it, when it's all said and done, because you just can't give them enough reps in practice. Take, take the NFL, for instance. The, the first team quarterback is 99 percent of the reps. The second team quarterback is just there and he's charting plays or something like that. So it's awfully difficult with a two quarterback system. But yet if they're given a certain package and they understand what their role is, it can work. All right, and we in our first preview, we're going to have Scotlandville taking on Carr. Coach Scotlandville lost a rough one to Ocean Springs a week ago, forty-nine to nothing. Carr defeated Landry thirty-three to nothing, and we know the type of talent that both of these teams have. But Carr has really been just dominant in the past few years. Uh, came short last year of a title, but we know they have the ability. I saw Scotlandville last year, and I don't know how, how many kids they lost. They were really, really talented. But uh, according to the score that I saw against Ocean Spring, uh, they must have lost a number of players. But, uh, you know, on that field, when they play card, you're going to see a lot of speed. It's going to look like a track beat without a baton, you know, because uh, but card, you know, they're always loaded. And, and I, I just think that the bottom line right here is Scott Neville has to, has to keep it close to get to the fourth quarter if they can. And that's never easy when you're talking about a potent car offense that always seems to put up big numbers. Easier said than done. We'll see how that matchup plays out. Newman takes on Riverside. We mentioned Newman playing up, playing down in class this time to take on Riverside, but we know the type of talent that Riverside has. The question comes into play, uh, will depth kick in? How will things play out down the stretch? But we know that both of these teams come in with very talented, well-coached teams. Yeah, this is a natural. You know, been a rivalry for a long time when they were in the same district, so they, they maintain this this particular game, and I think it's a great idea on both of them. And and the Riverside has to be tested to see how good they really are, because I don't think there's much left on their schedule. 
um, especially with the, the district is not really a, a competitive district. So this could be a good game for them to, to give them a pretty good barometer of where they are. And also Newman, I mean, they're going to see a different attack. And, uh, you know, they, their defense and their special teams will be tested in this ball game. Uh, both coaching staff know, know one another quite well. So it's going to be a really interesting game down in reserve. When In your next matchup, we have St. Charles taking on Lutcher. Both teams defending state champions. St. Charles got the better of Lutcher in a very tight matchup just a year ago. And both of these coaches very familiar with each other and Coach Jenkins and Coach Stein. Should be a fascinating matchup between X's and O's, offense and defense. And two teams that both have brand new quarterbacks after long tenure quarterbacks being the starter. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, and Lutcher's using the two quarterback system as we speak. And, uh, I don't know if they can maintain that, but that's what they've done. They're both guys that were in a passing league, and they, they threw extremely, extremely well. Uh, they have to replace the Winfield guy who was like 80% of their offense last year, so they have to do it a different way. Uh, St. Charles is a different quarterback also, and this has been a, a pretty good rivalry over the years. They need to continue to play. You know, I've always said River Parish teams need to start playing one another again like they used to do the old days. Because they work with one another, the plants, and they talk about it, and they tease one another, they make side bets and, and stuff like that. And uh, this game is going to be a big buildup, as you said, two uh, state champions and uh, playing against one another. That's what people want to see. I think that, that uh, you know, this, this state, this this River Paris, they deserve to see the rivalries continue to thrive and like that. And that, that's what makes it fun, the drama in the school and uh, the whole deal. And uh, it's going to be a really big crowd, and, and everybody will be excited to see this this game. And I think, uh, you know, St. Charles' defense against Lutcher's defense, Lutcher has an awesome defense, and uh, they have a, a great defensive end. Uh, St. Charles has, has, has real good linebacking core and uh, so and the good secondary. So this could be a real, real good matchup. Remember last year, this game ended on the two yard line of, of, of St. Charles Catholic when when uh, one of the receivers run down by the linebacker. So um, I don't see this one being any different. Could very well come down to special teams that third phase of the game that we know will be mentioned um, later on in the show. Rustin takes on Jesuit. Coach Rustin lost a one point tight ball game to Warren Eastern. Of course, we mentioned Jesuit pull off the win. How difficult is it to beat a big physical North Louisiana team like Rustin if you're Jesuit? Yeah, you, you know, you just have to have the people up front, you know, and, and sometimes there's not much you can do about it, you know, and in terms of that, you know, the worst feeling for a coach is when you stand on the sideline and a team is running right at you and you have no answer. And they, they get a great push with their defensive line, offensive line against your defensive line. And you can't do anything about it. It's a horrible, horrible feeling for a coach. It's not that you can design something on the chalkboard that'll work. And it, it's just something that you just hope that maybe they'll make a mistake along the along the way. But uh, and, and Rustin seem to be that kind of football team. Uh, they're really huge. I don't know how big Jesuit is, but we do know, as we talked before, that they're young. But the good thing is they have to come down here to play them. And that, that four-hour four bus ride could be a difference. Absolutely. Our next matchup will be Destrahan taking on John Errett. And Destrahan had a 48-7 win over Bonneville. Errett had a tight loss. But when these two schools play, there's always going to be competitive. Errett always has a lot of depth. We know that Destrahan always has a number of talented playmakers 
whether it's on the perimeter, whether it's being physical, they got a great linebacker this season that's getting recruited by all sorts of ball clubs, and we know the talent that they have at Destrohand. Destrohand is still young, Jason. They're still very young, but yet there's still a lot of talent hanging around. They had a great year, a recruiting year. A lot of their kids went on to college, but there's still a lot of good players hanging around that, that football team, especially that big running back, Lee. And uh, John Aaron is going to be a big test for them, but I don't know. You look down at their schedule, and they don't have their, their district is, is not real, real competitive. So I think that they must be front end loaded before they get in district play for Jeffrey to get get really tested. And I don't know if Eric has enough uh, experience on their football team to test them. But uh, but Jeffrey, you look for them to at least be in the playoffs again. In our next matchup, we have Brother Martin taking on St. Paul's. We know that St. Paul's is always a very competitive ball club. And Brother Martin just beat a quality opponent in Madison Prep, 28 to nothing. Interesting matchup here with these two schools lining up. Yeah, and it, 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 I think they're very similar to one another as far as the talent level is concerned. Uh, Coach Bonis will have them prepared, and uh, Coach Sears will have St. Paul's prepared because this is a big matchup for them. Uh, you know, the um, Coach Bonis still lives on, on on the North Shore, so that's pretty interesting too. And uh, it looks like they, they're very similar. This game could go down the wire. Look, you, this could be an overtime potential game, and uh, it'll be a slugfest because St. Paul's is very physical, and so is Brother Martin. Yeah, again, it's almost has a Catholic League-like feel to it. We know St. Paul's took on Rommel in the Jamboree, and it was a very tight ball game as well. Warren Eastern takes on Catholic. We know the amount of talent and magnitude of scouts that are going to be there. It's going to be a massive matchup. Catholic pulled off an overtime thriller in Picayune just a week ago. I believe Picayune had a 28-game win streak, and it was snapped by Catholic just a week ago. And Warren Eastern again went and defeated Ruston by one point. So a lot of athleticism on the field, big physical linemen, and there will be a ton of playmakers on the field. You know, this, uh, Warren Eastern has to have a chip on their shoulder. They can't go to the playoffs. They, they have the regulation this year that they can't not get in the playoffs because of the sanctions. So they must look at this as one of their bowl games. They look at this as got to be an important game. We need to show the rest of the state that we were still a good football team. And the kids, the coaches are telling them, hey, this is still something to, to play for, a little recognition here. It'll go a long way for our program and the future of our program. So let's give it our best against a, a, just a, a great Catholic high football team. In our next matchup, we have U-High taking on Rummel. U-High defeated Woodlawn by a wide margin, and we know Rummel came up on the short end of a ball game. What does Rummel have to do to turn things around? Because we know the type of talent that U-High has and how tight of a ball game that was just a year ago. First of all, Rome will have to find some replacements. They've already lost three starters, and so they have to find some people that can that have to step up and, like the coach said, the next guy up, and uh, and 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 don't feel sorry for themselves and say, "Hey, let's go play against this U High team that's that's number one in the state right now." And uh, they have a quarterback. I saw them earlier scrimmage against St. Charles Catholic, uh, but the quarterback did not play in that scrimmage last last week. He did. He's a big, tall guy with a sh- very, very strong arm. So, I mean, it's going to be – now they do play at home at, at Yanny. So, uh, Rumble have their hands full with a real, real fine, talented uh, U-high team. They run to the ball. You know, sometimes they, they look like they play with 14 people on the field on defense, and, and um, they, they, they have some real, real good players, two, three guys that are being highly recruited. Should be an interesting matchup. And well, our last one, Holy Cross takes on De La Salle. Coach, I got to watch Del- Holy Cross a week ago. 
And this is a team that returns 18 starters, has a ton of Division I talent on the perimeter, three backs that all look very similar, around the same weight, around the same height, all run like they're the same back. And we know that De La Salle comes off of a 27-0 win over Central, which we're aware what type of ball club Central comes into the season with. So this should be a very fascinating matchup. And this is a Holy Cross team that I feel – could make more noise than what people were giving them credit for coming into the season. No, oh, they have the, they certainly have the personnel to do that. And everybody in the Catholic League will tell you that uh, they have some excellent, excellent players. Especially as you said, the wideouts. Uh, De La Salle would not match them there, uh, but they're going to have to control the game and control the line of scrimmage and find a way to shrink the game. Uh, they have to get the game in the fourth quarter to have a chance against, uh, I think, a more talented Holy Cross football team with a brand new coach, Coach Watney, bring the new system there. And, uh, and you know, so Coach Graham is at, at De La Salle, always does a phenomenal job. But really, on, on paper, uh, Holy Cross certainly certainly is one up on them as far as the personnel is concerned. So that'll do for prep talk. As we go ahead and move into our next segment, college football. Coach, we're going to start out with Tulane taking on South Alabama. Coach, Tulane, South Alabama, 37-17 victory in favor of Tulane. They jumped out to a lead early, kind of got a little bit banged up. We saw... A few hits, a few fumbles, not as clean of play around the, the end of the second quarter to the like a midway to the third quarter, but really just ended the game with a bang. And that's the type of ball club that Tulane is. We mentioned this could be a trap game. Wasn't a trap for them. They came out with their head right on their shoulders and they took it to a, a good South Alabama team that might not get the recognition that they deserve, but very talented in their own right. I, th- I think that I couldn't agree more. South Alabama was a very good football team, and a first first game opponent uh, will do that. They'll magnify your weaknesses, and sometimes you have to kind of use the use a little jab here or there in the first quarter until you find out exactly, uh, you know, exactly the game plan because you never know how a game's going to unfold. And sometimes it's going to be a negative, and sometimes it'll be it'll be a turnover here or there. But you have to be able to overcome that. But I tell you that nobody does a better job in this country than Coach Willie Fritz and, and teaching the little things. Now, you might win, you might beat this football team, but as far as coaching the little things, uh, he can he can do And if he's there in the fourth quarter and you haven't put two in the way, they'll find a way to beat you because they do the little things so well. From the special teams, uh, one one thing I got to bring out, Jason, if you ever notice a, a receiver or a running back, every time he grabs the football, he runs to the official and hands it to him. And it's all part about they're trained to do that. As part of their, that's as part of their their philosophy uh, to to play with class, play hard, play with class, and the whole deal. And I think that that Coach Fritz is going to have his team ready uh, this week. But that that was a big win for them to get off like that. And a lot of people were skeptic because they thought they'd be looking towards Ole Miss, and uh, but they came out and executed. Michael Pratt was was on target with some big long throws, and the line gave him a, a little time. Remember, Tulane's not running around the country with a bunch of five star athletes. They're they're guys that coaches just t- took program guys that he made them better. But um, it's, it's, I was really, really impressed with the, the game, and and uh, as you said, South Alabama's going to go on and win a lot of games. And if it was a power rating system, Tulane would be would be uh, looking nice and pretty after that South Alabama win. However, big test. Ole Miss comes into town this week, and we know what this means for this Tulane program. It's a big matchup, and they're getting them in their stadium, which is going to be an exciting atmosphere, Coach, and you can tell because the the game has been sold out for a while. Ole Miss fans are throwing a fit because they can't get in, and 
It's going to be an electric atmosphere in New Orleans. The biggest matchup you have to look at when you compare these two teams, how will Tulane's defense hold up to a Lane Kiffin ball club that you know is going to put up points on the board? Well, you know, you know it's a big game. My, uh, my uh, grandson, Jackson, who scored a touchdown against Charlotte, and he called me. He wants to go to the game and, and uh, hold team. When you get young kids, high school kids, wanting to go to a game like that, you know that Tulane has arrived. You know what I mean? In, in terms of that, he said, he and a bunch of buddies want to go to the game. Can you get me some tickets? You know, something like that. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a packed house. Uh, Coach Kiffin is, you know, he's going to be all over the place offensively. And uh, and, and and I think, but if they if they flinch just for a little bit, Tulane will be there. And I know Tulane will be an underdog. It'll be very, very exciting atmosphere in that little stadium that they have. And uh, can't wait to see it. Uh, I think, you know, Tulane does not have an SEC defensive line like, like Ole Miss does. And the back that they have, Ole Miss has got a great back. And I think that the question is, how many times is he going to tote the football? And uh, because Coach Kiffin, Kiffin likes to he likes to use a lot of imagination. And sometimes he's a little too finesse oriented. Uh, and so if Tulane can stop some of the finesse plays and stuff like that and get in the long yard situation, they will have some success. Now, because nobody does all three phases like, like Tulane can. Uh, they can play some great special teams also. And that could always come up to be an important factor in this type of matchup. Every little thing matters when you take into account a big special teams play can completely change the complexion of the game. As of now, it is a seven-point spread in favor of Ole Miss, and we'll see how things transpire and if it's Coach Fritz and his green wave on top in that matchup. In our next discussion, Coach, I'm going to take a nice deep breath here. Florida State taking on LSU 45-24, to and it wasn't even that close. A very <laughs> ugly matchup between these two teams. Um, pretty much everything that could go wrong went wrong. But I can sit here and list about 50 things that they did wrong. But what was the most difficult to watch was how how non-physical this LSU team is. They were absorbing blows, shoulder tackling. Defense was playing out of position, giving 20-yard cushion to receivers that are six foot five, not trying to jam at the line of scrimmage. You know, I could continue to go on and on, but there's so many problems that they have. Coach, how do you move forward? How do you move but, forward as a team when you when you can look at the game and say, we did not a single thing right, whether it's preparation on the offense, defense, game planning, or practicing? Because look at how non-physical that team was. I, I told my wife, and I said, I wouldn't want to be in that coaching office the next day, you know, because uh, they have to go back to the drawing board, they have to go back to like it was camp day, okay, play one of camp because the bottom line, blocking and tackle. They didn't tackle well. The offensive line didn't block well. Is evident to six plays on the first drive inside inside the five-yard line. When you can't push it one yard, you're not going to push them anywhere else. You know, and I, I thought that kind of set a precedent there. Uh, people say, well, you should have kicked the field goal, blah, blah, blah. Besides that, you have to play better. Even though with that, they, they're up 17-14, right the half. They had a great drive. Uh, I will say this. Uh, their offensive line is not that good yet. And, and, and that's the same guys they have receiving. I mean, the running back core is very, very average. I didn't see that guy really step out. That's a, that's a true SEC back. They don't, they don't have that on, on the football team. Uh, I think that the Daniels kid is really an electric football player. He makes a lot of things happen with his feet, 
But if you notice, he was under duress a lot. But I will say this from this, their standpoint. Um, and then everybody talks about Perkins. Where was he? I mean, you know, he was he was not anywhere. He was a fish out of water and and stuff like that. And but I'm Coach K. Like you know, I like I like the way he coaches. I really think he's gonna he's gonna get it corrected. They'll play. I'm not saying many games they'll win. Uh, I think they'll be they'll be fine. But by the time they get SEC play, uh, but I will say this: I really think that they need to play faster. Jalen Daniels. Last year they did the same thing to Florida State. After Florida State game, they started to play fast, up-tempo offense. And that's what Jane, that's what Daniel wants. And then you can, you can get by with a sub-poor offensive line. You get par with sub-half, uh, you know, half-decent backs. You don't have to have great people there. But the bottom line, I think that their team that has to play faster, like Joe Burrow and them did. I mean, that was the difference in their football team. It hides some of the weaknesses that you might have. So all in all, he's got a lot to work on. Uh, we all pull in for them to get there, and I was surprised that they got hit in the mouth, and uh, and and it shocked. It's kind of shocked the world. Can they respond? Well, I, I think they can, but it won't happen one week. It takes a little bit of time for that to work out, and I think Coach Kelly said the same. Another thing, I, I can't recall ever a coach saying, "I'm gonna go over there and whip this football team." And when he said that, I bet you wish he had those words back. Coach, uh, when you look at uh, the way this game played out, one thing you have to take into account: you've got to get. Harold Perkins more involved. He was in, he played the edge. He and I know everybody you want him to play middle linebacker, but you didn't have Mason Smith, your best pass rusher on the line. So what did you do? You took your other best rush man and you put him on that second level. You know, Jason, there's a coach in the coaching office. Everybody wants to take one of the better players and put him at linebacker. And I've always said, wait a minute, from the offensive standpoint, I don't agree with that because I want a guy. To play that, you have to block every play. If he's that linebacker, he's dropping in pass coverage. But if he's a rusher all the time, I got to block that dude every play. And that makes a big difference. Now, in, in college, I don't think it's any different. Put it, so somebody has to have a hat on that guy every play and give him a chance to win one-on-one battles. Where if he's dropping in pass coverage or he's a spy guy like he was most of the night, he was just sitting there being a spy guy. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that's, that's different. Anybody can do that. But you know, when he, when he came from that, I mean, uh, there's a lot of coaching going on, a lot of correction. I don't want to, and I don't want to do that to LSU because they got some great coaches. And but they will, they they will get it corrected. They're going to win some games before it's all over with. And one thing they do need to correct is special teams. We we I mentioned that with you. We had a, a guy splitting time, and you know, when you're not fair catching balls at the five yard line, when you're dropping punts again against Florida State. And when you're dropping back eight to cover for punt blocking and there's still six red jerseys around, there's got to be corrections that are made. So- I think the, the big deal with that, Jason, is – and I know Coach, he divided up the, the duties on the team. I've been there. I lived that in college. For, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You have to have one guy in charge, one guy in charge of special teams. You get the other coaches to help you. That's what you know. Got some guy to help you with punt, some guy to help you with kickoff return. That kickoff return, uh, the guys should have fair cut every one of them. So at least you get that on twenty-five. They never got the ball outside the twenty-five yard line. They didn't block anybody on on that. But you need. What I'm saying is that get one person that's going to work that full time, and that's his job. Not a guy that's coaching linebackers and then special doing the punt team. Not a guy that's coaching receivers and then he's he's a you know punt return team. I think it has to be one. I live that, and and I can tell you more about that that scenario but uh, if they don't improve that um they, they're not gonna win many football games because their their punt return yards last year was 3.5 that's what they had so far this year they have zero 
they have zero. So they have to they, they have to do a better job of that. Not that they, naturally, they got to catch the ball first. We all know that before you can return it. But on the flip side, there needs to be some type of return set up. If you're not going to have to return, go pressure the punter. Pressure the punter. You know, at least make him make him chop his feet or maybe shank something. And in our last segment of the first segment of the show, we have the Saints. The Saints will take on the Titans this weekend in the New Orleans Superdome. This defense has uh, – look, let's call it what it is. Tennessee is going to run the football, right? That's going to be their go-to in this ballgame. They have Derrick Henry. How many times can you run him straight at this defense? And for the Saints, you know the type of run defense that the Texans – that the Titans have. You are going to have to have Derek Carr earn his money. Why do we sign you? Why do we bring you on? He has some wideouts and opportunities to uh, build up that rapport with them in this offseason, and he'll get a chance to show it against this defense because you're going to be very hard-pressed to find rushing yards against this Titans defense. Uh, you know, I I don't know what to expect right there, Jason. The first game of the year, the, you know, the preseason games don't mean anything. You don't show an awful lot. You don't show what you really – the changes you've made during the offseason, stuff like that. Uh, as far as Derek Carr – um, you know, I think he's a good quarterback. In fact, I know he's a good quarterback. The only, my, my only problem is he's only had nine snaps, and that kind of bothers me. You know, I think he needs a little bit more of that. To, so who knows? He had one drive of nine snaps. So who, who knows what he really can do in, 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 in the ballgame other than what he did in the past at, uh, at uh, Las Vegas. So I think the bottom line is he's kind of untested in my mind against a team that really, really is going to play. Because remember, in the NFL, they're all getting paid. That's some good football team. Coach, coach Rabel is a heck of a coach. He's real, real physical uh, type of dynamic uh, coach, and you know, and he's. <laughs> you're right. He's going to give it to Henry. And so if and if they keep him under 100 yards, they'll win the game. But if not, it could be a long day. So that'll do it for our first segment. And when we come back, we will be talking with Shaw head football coach Hank Tyranny. But before we head out, we want to go ahead and give a thanks to our sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firm. Sammy Accardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. We'll be right back. Samuel Accardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters, 
before they actually happen. Welcome back to segment two of the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Our special guest tonight has 35 years of coaching experience and has amassed 309 wins over his career and is currently ninth in the LHSAA wins list. Our special guest is Shaw Head football coach, Hank Terrany coach. Thank you so much for joining us. And you were, you, were at, you were at Shaw from 83 to 01. What's it like getting the opportunity to return to that program after having success at Shaw previously? And of course, having success at Ponce too. Uh, you know, I'm really enjoying myself. It's a it's a great school, and the people here have been very good to me. And we really have a lot of great, great kids that that work very hard, and really, really are a pleasure to coach. So I'm really enjoying myself, Coach. I, coach, thank you from from my standpoint also for for joining us. I know how busy you are. You guys just got off the practice field. And, and I know you got a big ball game this week, but uh, coach, you know, I wanted to mention this before we went any further. You had a mentor that you first started coaching with by the name of uh, Coach Joe Zimmerman, and I know you guys are very, very close. And can you expound on on, on what he meant to you as far as your coaching career was concerned? Absolutely, coach. I came to Shaw in 1977, actually, and I actually was hired to coach basketball. But you know, coach, back in those days, we coached everything. So right. I was right. the so you went you went with a ball with, you went with a ball with a point on it then, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh I was a fr- I, that year I coached all three sports, but I was basically the freshman football coach. But that's when I was first came in contact with Coach Z, as he's called Joe Zimmerman. And he kind of took me under his wing and he, he basically taught me the game of football. And I will always be tremendously indebted to him for all the time he put into helping me and working with me and uh, and teaching me the game and uh, we we still talk a whole lot and everything I've done you know is really is really a tribute and a credit to him and everything that he's taught me. What a great what a great guy and just always calm always even keel the whole deal enjoyed being part of the district when he was there you know we had an awesome district of coaches when you think about the Bobby Collins and Josie uh, you know. You think about Absolutely. Tony Vegas and, and those people. But, Coach, you know, I, I wanted also uh, how times have changed. I mean, what do we do without huddle? Remember the times of the 16-millimeter coach? And, <laughs> and, 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 and uh, you know, I don't understand how we did it. What do we do with, the, you know, now with cell phones and, and, and bottled water? I mean, uh, remember those times? How times have changed when you started coaching my, also? My first job, but my first year, I had to go to the Greyhound bus station on Saturday mornings because they would actually the guy would take the film with them. And then he would process it and send it back 16 millimeter and it would come to the Greyhound bus station in New Orleans. Right. I was a young 24 year old coach. I would drive there on Saturday morning and get it. I'd be thrilled. Like I had a job to do and come back and they had that thing. And you remember it would, it would break all the time, you know, and you'd have to tape it together and watch it. And, and it was just completely different. And now you come home from a game, we play St. Charles. You know, we had our film up in 20 minutes and had sent it to the team we're playing this week, 10 minutes after that. 
So it, it's completely it, different. It is amazing. And also, Hank, you can now tell when you send them the practice tape, you can tell who's watching it. I said, it's, it's amazing how far we've come with that. <laughs> and you can see which coaches are watching it, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they like that, you know. Oh, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. That's the one that want to call the players on on Friday night, you know, something yeah, like everybody that. Everybody wants to call players and they don't know the players. That's right. <laughs> that brought me to a podcast last year, Coach. I talked about why they should have instant replay for fumbles at least for fumbles that you know they can easily do that in high school because they have an instant replay for the state championship game and i don't know why they just don't do it because the other night for instance in your game and i'm standing right there we had two controversial one that went for you one that went against you you know what i mean right and, and, right and, and, right yeah yeah they were both of them but i would like to see that but anyway Move that coach. Uh, you talk about Coach Z. Uh, I don't know who taught you. Was it Coach Z that taught you the veer offense? Because tell me about the transition. Because you were a big veer, a split back veer team that we used to play against one another. And, and you're one of the, you and JT, one of the few people that still run it with Acadiana. And uh, but then now you transition to you're running more spread. Well, Coach, I, I and I often wish I had never transitioned to that because <laughs> we we had a lot of success running first veer. And then we went to the, the double slot option, you know, which Navy and Georgia Tech popularized over the years. But honestly, we ran the veer and had a lot of success on Joe Zimmerman did teach it to me. Uh, Phil Greco was the offensive coordinator when I first came to Shaw, and they were running it uh, very well. They were all running Lou Holtz version, the grass is green of the year. And, and we had John Fulkane, of course, running it, and did a great job with it. And then when, when Joe – I became the head coach. I coached defense for a few years. And then when I transitioned back to offense, I inherited Mickey Joseph. So that was a very easy decision to put Mickey at quarterback, let him run that offense. And we ran it from 1985 to, to 1998. Then we switched to the double slot. We actually went to Army and uh, got the double slot, which I kind of liked because it we were a big outside veer team, and a lot of people were playing the 4-3, and the 4-3 took outside veer away. <laughs> so we uh, – had a kid by the name of Sharon Carey, quarterback, and put the double slot in. Had a whole lot of success doing that. Ran that all the way to 2017 when we inherited a kid that punched to by the name of TJ Finley. All right. TJ right. was six foot seven. And uh and and God bless him. He tried to run the deer. My uh, my stupid self tried to make him run it when he was a sophomore, and he really couldn't run it, but he could really throw. So we switched then, and really, we had to go learn it. We, I spent weeks at a time up at LSU with, with uh, all the LSU coaches, and uh, Steve Esmond in particular, just trying to learn all the nuances of the spread. And uh, we still, of course, don't know it very well, but we do try to mix a lot of option in with it. But it would be hard to go back now because these kids today, that's all they know. You know, they know the spread and throwing the ball and catching the ball and so we just tried to get as good as we could at it. And, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's been fun. But there's often times I just wish we'd go back to just running the option. His life was a lot simpler then. And speaking yeah. of T.J. Finley, he was 22 for 28, sadly. Uh, and they upset Bailey. He's playing at Texas State. Right. And he had right. a great game. And they upset uh, Dave Aranda's team at Baylor. And I think he was the national player of the, of the week or something. But I watched the game. It was on TV. And he had a great game. I'm very happy. For him. Oh, he had a great one. Um, I remember with 7-7 seven and seven when you guys threw against his uh, coach, how, how good he was. I mean, he, yeah. he had a, he had a house for Norm. He also had the problem with, with, when he hit the receiver, the chest might knock him down. I mean, And, was, and of course, we had problems protecting. As you know, the toughest skill in high school is, is pass blocking. 
And uh, we had a lot of problems over the years pass blocking. So the kid we have quarterbacking now is more of a dual threat guy. So he gets us out of a lot of problems right. just with his ability. <laughs> Coach, you and I had, a, had some battles. I remember the year of um, Hurricane One that just sat out there and it just turned water in. And it rained for like four or five days in a row. We couldn't play a Tad Gormley. And we moved it to the Superdome. You had a quarterback <laughs> by the name Mickey Joseph. And, uh, and the game went in overtime. You you guys ended up beating us in overtime. But at halftime of that game, we had 40 snaps, and you only had 14, and the score was That's still 14-14. Right. I never forget that ball game. And you yeah, if I remember win. correctly, we both had great records. And back then, it was really hard to get in the playoffs. Right. a couple of teams got in. Well, now everybody gets in. But Coach Frank <laughs> Monica is being very modest. We won because we caught a sprint out pass to the right and Jesuit defended it perfectly. And because of Mickey Joseph's athletic ability, he reversed his field and ran all, all the way to the other corner and just outran the Jesuit team. And oh. I remember thinking to myself, coaching is very overrated because <laughs> the play was supposed to go right. It went all the way back. He actually ran back to the 25-yard line, running to the other side of the field. And uh, it was just very fortunate that we had an athlete like that. Hey, Coach, y'all, did y'all go to the playoffs? Did that stop you from going that year? Yeah. Did y'all go? Yeah, we uh, did. But, you know, went. yeah. But, you know, how, how was the coaching on the first and second place team? Those those power ranking back then. Oh, crazy. Wish, coach. wish you was. And then because you're the Catholic League, you killed one another. You know that. Well, coach, in 1983, my first year as a head coach, Shaw went nine and one. Brother Martin went nine and one. And and uh, Rumble went nine and one. And Brother Martin stayed home. Didn't go to playoffs at nine and one. That's how crazy it was then. Yep, exactly. I think the power rank, you know, I get calls from a couple of buddies out of state and they want to know all about it because they think it's the best thing since uh, since sliced bread. You know what I mean? So I, I think I, that's I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can have start out bad and, and the season not be over and have a chance in the playoffs, you know? Right. Coach, let me ask you this. Uh, uh, players in college, you have a number. You just mentioned Finley, but you had a number of guys that went through your program, went on to college and pro, uh, like Ryan Clark. And he's special because I thought I had him coming to Tulane because I know his mom. We really wanted right. him to Great lady. Yeah. And then we ended up not losing, but he had a heck of a career. Yeah, we spoke to Ryan's mom the other day. Ryan's uh, Ryan's brother's son played at Cox. So I got, happened to catch up with the family a lot last year. I stay in touch with Ron mostly with texting. But uh, Ron was a great athlete, probably as good as athlete I've ever coached. Started out as a quarterback. He always thanks me every time he sees me for moving him to defense because he said it, pro it got him to play in college and the NFL. But I uh, was a great player. In fact, that uh, talking about kids that – and uh, a lot of people kind of don't realize this because I was in Ponchatoula. Right. The great running back of Tulane, Tajay Spears, played for us at Ponchatoula. And he's with the Tennessee Titans now. And he was the MVP in the Rose Bowl last year. I mean, a got Bowl for Tulane. But uh, he's about to embark on a heck of an NFL career. And he was a great kid and very, very happy for him. But we had the Joseph boys. We had Ryan Clark. We had Tory James. So he played a bunch of years in the league. So we've been very fortunate to have had a lot of really good players at Shaw, at West Jefferson, and then also at, at Pontchartour. Well, Coach, you, you're a football purist. You know, you you, you love the game. The, the, the kids love you. They love, love playing for you and the whole deal. And you're what it's all about. And then I just hope that we continue to have more mentors and people like you in the profession, you know, because, you know, it's, it's it's hard to find nowadays that people want the, the uh, what I call the microwave society. They want to win right now. 
and kids don't want to pay their dues. You know, people like yourself and and I bring up Mike Norville. You know, he's a guy that went through the ranks. You know, he, he was a GA at one time. He was assistant for a long time, became a head coach and whatever, and, and ended up last night with probably one of the biggest wins of Florida State's career. You know, I mean, that was fantastic. I watched the game, and I've met Mike Norville. He's a great guy. Really, yeah. really is. Yeah, it really is. But, I mean, but, Coach, I mean, just doing what you've done, how do you make the transition? Now, I understand you still live in Ponchatoula. How does, how does, the, wife, how does the wife do like that? Well, the wife, was, the wife was really the motivation to get me to come back to Shaw because I was pretty much done, Coach. We played that. We played the Dome my last year at Ponchatoula. Had a great team. Lost to Zachary. And I decided, I told the Ponchatoula people in August that that was going to be my last year. And I was pretty much settled that I was going to retire. I've been doing this since 1977. And then, uh, you know, the, the guy from the Priestley Shaw approached me, Father Steve, the, the director of the school, and he came to the house of Ponchatoula and he sat down with me and presented, you know, told me kind of what he wanted me to do and, and kind of outlined a really good plan. I don't have any classes, but I work in development. I help a little bit with fundraising. I meet a lot of alumni and try to help them come back and, and give back to the school. Then I do my coaching after after 12 o'clock. But it was a good deal, and I asked him, well, I'm going to try for a couple of years. He let me hire some really quality coaches, and uh, it, it really worked out. You know, it worked out for me, and it worked out for my wife, but she did not want to move. She said, we stay in Pochettula. So I'll actually stay in Marrero during the week and sleep in the priest's house. They have a big 14-room house in Marrero on campus, and I have a room in there. And, uh, in fact, when I finish from here, I'll go get something to eat, and I'll go over there and probably watch practice film, but it's very convenient for me. And I go home on Fridays after the game, come back on Sunday. So it's kind of worked out and very happy with it. And I very much agree with what you said about the, the coaching today. You know, we paid our dues and I worked a bunch of years as an assistant. I learned under some really great guys and I was very patient and wanting to learn and learn from people who really knew the game. And today's young coaches, a lot of them, they just – moving real fast and they don't get the job they want at an early age. They, they moving on or they getting out. And it's a shame because it's a great profession. And, and I just hope we can get a lot more people interested because it seems to be not as, not as proactive as it used to be as far as people want to coach. And I, and that's a shame because it's truly a great profession. Yeah. That's coach. That's, and my last question, then, then we'll, I'll let you go coach in terms of, of um, value system in terms of have you changed your coaching style? Uh, did you adjust to what people say the, the, the now age or did you keep your value system and coach the same way you did? Cause I, I I've adjusted a little bit, but I, I always get accused of being old school. Cause uh, you know, I don't, I don't like the bandanas. I don't like the tapes all over the place. You know, I don't like all the different things. I, I still believe in the old fashioned values, but you know, we we practiced labor we practiced Labor Day at seven a.m. and uh, we had a couple of kids late and one kid not coming. He's not dressing this week. You know, we believe that you know it, you got to hold kids accountable because you prepared them for life, not just playing a football game. And uh, we try to instill those values of hard work into them, and and that if they make a decision, they got to be accountable for the decision. There's going to be consequences to every action. And I and I I do believe that these kids understand that. I think they are raised a little different. And I think it is a little bit different from when we coached 20, 25 years ago. But I still believe deep down every kid wants and needs discipline. And we still add all species. Shaw, it makes it a lot easier because those are the same principles in the school. So to answer your question, you know, I, I got I've mellowed a little bit. My old players say I mellowed a lot. 
But deep down, I think we still are trying to get the same thing and get the kids to buy into the same thing. Amen. Because I, my favorite expression, you get what you tolerate. If you allow it, you're going to get it. You know, that's uh-huh. that's right. well, Coach, I know you that guys right. you got nine big ones left, and uh, you, you made a good run in the playoffs last year. Uh, what, what do you think the prognosis for your football team? It, for me, I saw you last year and this year. You're a lot better football team this yeah, year. Yeah, Coach, I think I think – just the fact that, you know, we, we have opportunities Friday night to beat a really good St. Uh, Charles team that you're familiar with, of course. But I, I think playing teams like that will make us better. I think we will be better next week because of, of having played a quality program like St. Charles. And I think uh, I think we're a lot further along. You know, it's year two that we've had these kids. You know, they know what we expect of them. And I think at this time right now, we're a lot better. You know, last year St. Charles beat us 38 nothing, and it might not even have been that close. And this year we were in the game, and I think St. Charles is as good or better as they were last year. And really, really impressed with them. Of course, you know, you built that program, so you know about them. But we're, we're very optimistic. We're going to play a private school in Houston this week because we had an open date. And it, we didn't want to play nine games. And then we played Rumble, you know, so we would play St. Charles, then Rumble in two of the first three weeks. So we will find out if we have come along as much as I think. And while I was happy with our effort against St. Charles, we still didn't win the game. In the fourth quarter, we had opportunities to do so. And St. Charles did what they do, and they found a way to win. And we did not. So, you know, we got to get over that. We got to get across that hurdle. We got to win a game like that in the fourth quarter. And when we do that, I think we'll be well on our way. No, it was an excellent game. And, and Coach, listen, uh, I know you're going to be there when the dust settles. I, I know you always will. And uh, good luck to you in your future. And and please, uh, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, listen, please tell your wife I'm available for lunch Monday through Friday. Okay. Coach, listen, I, I want to say this before I get off. I was very fortunate when I came into the profession, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, when I started as a head coach, and you remember this, I called you and I called JT Curtis and Frank Monica and JT Curtis helped me tremendously when I became a head coach. And, and Frank Monica was in our league at Jesuit and uh, they didn't, they didn't stop them from trying to help a young coach try to get better. And I will certainly always appreciate everything you did for me. And it was my pleasure to come on tonight. And, uh, and it's good to see you again, as always. And, uh, and obviously I wish nothing but the best for you and your family as well. And, and uh, thanks again. Yeah, thank you, Coach. And listen, call if you need me, okay? Expect that phone to ring, man. Just don't call me collect. Don't call me collect, all right? (laughs) All right, Coach. Thank you. Thank Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it. We want to once again thank head football coach of Shaw, Hank Tarrany, the legend, for joining us today. We'd also like to thank LSR for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank podcast. Samuel Licardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Samuel Licardo and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth 
and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Welcome to our third and final segment of the Let's Be Frank podcast. We want to once again thank our sponsors for being a part of our show. Riverlands. Riverlands, since 1972, Riverlands Insurance has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. So, Coach, in your Let's Be Frank segment today, we're going to talk about the value of running backs. So a lot of a lot's been made this offseason about running backs holding out for bigger contracts, demanding for trades. And as you mentioned on the phone with me a few days ago, LSU's running back situation and how maybe the running back situation isn't as sorted out as originally thought. So um, go ahead and discuss the value of running backs as you see it. Let me first of all say what qualifies me to say this. I spent my 12 years at, at Tulane University Eight of those 12 years was strictly as the running back coach. And so I know exactly what the, what the role of those guys should be and, and who can and cannot do it. But as far as the value of them, you know, the NFL they're talking about, well, not, not giving them the, the money that the receivers are making or the quarterbacks are making. But it all depends on the system. And in the NFL, it's very important to have running backs. Even they, they still use the 21 personnel, which means the fullback and a tailback in some aspect. And the fullback, nobody knows who he is. He probably doesn't even have a, a fingerprints. But he's used in crucial situations, short yardage situations uh, a lot. But the running back is very important, if, especially when it comes to ball security. You know, when, when the guy fumbles or something like that, uh, everybody said, well, who in the world is the running back? You know, stuff like that. But he's very important. Let me tell you the value of running back, though. In pass protection, they call it blitz pickup. In other words, it, every day, the people, that not only the linemen, they have to learn how to pick up a blitz. I saw a game the other day, in fact, in the two-lane game, uh, they pulled out one of their, their running back because there was a blitz that came from the outside, and it hit Michael Pratt from the back. With the running back, that was his man. So they, when, when coming out of high school, a lot of these guys have 2,000 yards, 3,000 yards they've gained. But they have to, one, they have to be able to play, pick up the blitz. Two, they have to be able to run the football and hold on to it, which is called ball security. Three, they have to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield or else they're on the sideline. And they have to be the toughest guy on the field. You know, I had a situation out there, Tulane, we in spring training one time, and we had a lot of running backs that were hurt. I walked into this defensive back room and said, guys, I need some, some backup. I need some people to r- play running back. And I said, would anybody volunteer to play? Not one of the guys in that room of 18 guys raised their hand. 
because they know a running back when when they carry on the football, they are eleven guys that want to tear his ears off, and they would run. They run into the football after him, and 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 when they get there, they have a bad attitude. So it's very very important. The running back has to be durable. Uh, he has to be a guy that can get, that can go north and south. Uh, offensive line coaches don't want jitterbug running back. They want guys that go what we call north and south. They want guys that that, that do what they call yaks. In other words, yards after contact and falling forward. And as a part of a running back that people don't really see, only coaches see it, is, is what they actually call vision. Some running backs, that you, you can see it on TV sometimes, that he didn't hit the hole correctly. He didn't read now the old term that I used to use all the time. He didn't read the butt. Now, what does that mean? Is that if a lineman, is got, if he's in between the defender uh, and, and, and the back, he must cut off that butt. That tells him exactly that's his read. So it's very, very important for backs to, to have the vision, very important for them to have ball security. They must be big enough. In the blitz pickup, I'll go back to that. Remember that running backs are, are twice as small as the linebackers that they're blocking. And uh, so they have to put their face in there. They can't get on the side of him. Uh, they, they can't chop his legs to so the guy will jump right over him. So it's, it's a little bit different system. Now, it, it, a guy like Derek, Derek Henry that the Saints going to face on Sunday, I mean, the value of him, I think, is, is something that you can't put a price tag on. Uh, he's a guy that probably can get him in the end zone. But you go back and look, most coaches would really like to run the football and beat you with the win. Because by running the football, you control the game. You control the tempo of the game. It makes your team more physical. Even on both sides of the ball, it'll make your team more physical. So I think the value of a running back is, is, is should be greatly enhanced. Uh, but the problem is, in, in, in high school and college, you've gone to spread offenses now. There's only one guy that can play that position. Uh, whereas before, you had several. In the old days of the eye formation are not there anymore. Some teams use a version of it. NFL, you still see it. But with this, with all the emphasis now is on quarterbacks and wide receiver play. And that's what you're seeing. And that's why people say the role of the of the running back has been diminished. But when you look at some of the guys in the past that can run the football, and I mean, that's another threat, especially they got screen plays and draw plays. And if you see every coach will tell you, they're walking off and say, can I have 150 yards rushing this ball game? You can throw it, but I need 150 yards. And every defensive coordinator wants his own offense to control the clock a little bit. Because if I'm there three and out very quickly, then what happens, he said, I'm, I'm taking a lot of snaps. And if I'm taking 90, 100 snaps in a ball game, my guys are awfully tired. So the running back still, in my mind, has a tremendous value and, and, and always will as, as far as my philosophy is concerned. Coach, maybe you should talk to some of those uh, NFL GMs because they're clearly not valuing it when it comes to paying some of these running backs. As you're exactly. saying, a lot of Jonathan Taylor is one of the situations. But we'll see if teams start to – prioritize it more with Saquon Barkley in that situation as well is definitely, I agree with you. I, I think it's a, a, a position that should be valued more, but you need to value it with a paycheck to back it up because right now they're paying those receivers and it's shown when you get a high paying wide receiver doesn't always translate to results. So yep. we'll see if, if they decide to change their philosophy a bit. Coach, next we have our blitz the ball coach segment. Coach, the question of the week is what do you think – the run-pass ratio should be in a football game. It came. This question was was posed to him by a good friend Kurt Crochet, who's a longtime coach, a member of the Louisiana Football Hall of Fame himself. And uh, you know, he, he was a hard-nosed coach. And and uh, but he asked me this question, and, and he was serious about the question. I said, you know, it, 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 uh, I think in high school, basically, it's like seventy-five, twenty-five percent and a run pass. 
Now, if you're throwing the ball an awful lot and you're a running team, that means you're probably losing the ball game, you know, and something like that. So you're throwing. I think most coaches did want to throw the ball when they want to, not out of necessity. If you're trailing by three or four touchdowns late in the game, you're going to do that. Uh, I always felt like if you threw the ball in, in the game I did between 15 and 18 times, that was perfect. And you probably had a, had a pretty good mix there of run, pass, screens, and, and the whole deal. But now, with the spread offenses, that's not the way that they go. They go 50-50. Uh, with the spread offenses, they, they think, well, I'll use the zone read. And uh, sometimes the zone read is or the RPO off of that. And that could have been a run or a pass. So that, you know, that's a, there's an option there attached to that. So the fast-paced people that run, that run a lot of RPOs, you could see a 50-50 split. But yet, in the big picture, you still want to see you still want to see the the, the game being won on the ground because you're controlling the game that way. Uh, in NFL, you could probably it's about sixty forty in NFL because you know NFL is really a quarterback league. It's really a pass scale league. But even with that being said, you still see them running the ball a lot. They have the lead back with a fullback or what they call the H back. And, and, and now they're getting more into some RPO themselves. The NFL has kind of changed their thinking a little bit. Just remember this. Time of possession is not, is not an indicator whether you won the game or not. Because if I score on four big, long plays and I had the ball just for a little less than a minute, that, that doesn't hit, that's not an indicator that we won the ball game. So time of possession is not one of the indicators. And they don't. I think by, by running the ball a little bit more, your team become more physical. I know – Defensive coordinators want that. I mean, defensive coordinators, I can remember being in college, they would say, can you slow down a little bit? We just got off the field. We need a break. You know, can you slow down a little bit? And uh, that, that sort of thing. So that that's important. So the, the run pass the run pass ratio, I think, varies from, from the NFL to the spread offenses and to high school, even though high school now have emulating what the colleges are doing with the RPOs too. And everybody thinks it's more sexy to throw the ball, more, more touchdown pass, throw the ball deep. But what the sexiest thing is, is that scoreboard. And that's the most important thing. Coach, how important is it for the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, and the head coach to all be aligned in how much you choose to run past the football, in the way that your offense operates? Are you running tempo? Are you running no huddle? How significant and important is it for everybody to be on the same page to understand this is the way we're going to play offensively and this is the way we have to play defensively or vice versa? That's really a good question, Jason. And and that's why I always like to call the plays myself as a head coach because I control that. And sometimes I played strictly to the defense. Sometimes I played very conservatively because I knew my defense would hold them. You know, And I didn't want to put my defense in a bad light or give them bad field position put them behind the eight ball, so to speak, and give them a short field. So we took care of the ball, and I used to tell them it's okay to punt. It just don't turn over the football. It's okay to punt. and but Because, you know, turnovers will kill you. And uh, years back, we won the state championship in, in 2011. Uh, turnover ratio was plus 23, plus 23. So, I mean, that's excellent. Anytime you double digits in turnover, turnover ratio, that says a lot about your offense and also your defense too, because you're not they they they, they play takeaway and you're holding on to the ball. But that's that's a great point right there. Uh, some if you're not calling the plays or calling the defense, I think you have to have serious sit down meetings with the guys prior to to Friday night, prior to your game plan. And say okay, this is what a mix I want, and uh, and you have to have your hand on it. Or else, because a lot of coordinators will say, well, I just want to make a name for myself. I'm going to keep scoring. I don't care about the defense. I've seen that. I've been that, been on that side of the ball also. And the other guys, will, they'll go blitz crazy or something like that rather than be conservative. But the head coach controls all of that. Now, whether he does or not, that's on him. 
Thanks, Coach, and appreciate the insight. As we move on to our final segment, our lock of the week, Coach. I don't know the last time this happened, but we both won week one. So we're both 1-0, heading into week two. Coach, who do you like this week? I'm going with Washington. I'm laying the points. I'm laying it against Tulsa. Uh, as I said before, I really believe in their scheme and their system. Uh, and I'm, I'm going with them because I think that they're a dark horse and, uh, because, you know, they play on the West Coast. So nobody knows the score until about the second cup of coffee on Sunday morning. So, I mean, so I'm going to go with Washington. Coach, we discussed this before. I'm going to go against my better judgment. Uh, but look, I was blown away by what Colorado was able to do. Two and a half points at home in Boulder against Nebraska. I I, I know after your highest high comes your lowest low. I, I think a game at home, I, I think they'll get up enough to win that game and to cover. But again, I'm betting I'm betting against what I should be. I know that, but we'll see if that pays off. Um yeah. but you know, uh coach, why do you why do you think it's always after your highest high comes your lowest low? I know you, that's been a, a mantra of yours for years. Well, because it, 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 whenever you have you build up so much adrenaline in the game, I think a team only has so many emotional nights in the course of a football season, and you don't get that high emotionally. And football is an emotional game. It's an intense game. And I just don't think – and plus, you know, the, the pats on the back soon become kicks in the seat of your pants. No matter what you say – People are still talking about that and reminding you about that other game, and you're just not there. You're just not there physically. Mentally, you are, and you want to win. You say, yeah, we've got to keep this thing going. You say all the right things, but your body will not let you do it. And that's that's why I say this. When I, I saw Duke, for instance, everybody was on the field. Um, and Unless you play a weak opponent the next week, uh, you get by if you play a weak opponent. If you're playing another juggernaut, uh, I think you're going to struggle because that – and you can tell the emotion the emotion is not there when you have sloppy tackling, ball security is not there, misreads, and it is, it, when you go off a warm-up, you can tell whether you got juice or not. And as you mentioned, I've heard this uh, quote from you a lot, Coach. This is one of your mantras as well. You've always said you got to be like a horse in a race. you got to have those blinders on looking forward at your goal. We'll see if, if a few of these teams, as you mentioned, Duke is one of them. We'll see if Duke, and in my case, Colorado has those blinders on. But – That'll do it for tonight's episode. Thanks again for everybody tuning in, listening, and joining the show. Before we head out, we want to go ahead and make sure you know where to find us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. It's at the LBF Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook at the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and on Google Podcasts and Spotify. So, That'll do it for us. Coach, uh, who do we have next week coming on in our third episode? We have the, the, the recruiting guru. Yes, we do. We yeah. have uh, Sam Spielman, who's done, who did a great job with us last year, and we're very excited to have him back on. So that'll do it for us. So for Frank Monica, for everybody else, I'm Jason Duey, and remember, let's lay ball to and lay let the good time roll. And, and please go to Church of Your Choice on Sunday. Thank you.